So you've heard the phrase, in New York Harbor, there stands a lady. So in New York Harbor, the Statue of Liberty stands with torch held high. She actually faces out to the Atlantic Ocean, not to the shores of our country and, and all of the countries beyond that, and with her back turned toward the country that she honors. That Statue of Liberty was presented to us by the, the, the French people, the French government. She holds high the hope of liberty, not just to the United States, but to the entire world. In 1986, the Statue of, Lib Statue of Liberty was refurbished when President Reagan relit the Torch of Liberty on July 3, 1986. Massed choirs sang the words of Emma Lazarus's tribute to our nation and the statue standing before our nation's open door. The, the words are these. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, temp tempest-bound, or tempest-tossed to me, I lift my lap beside the golden door. These words are sung to those in other nations, those outside of that. And, and we look at that, and we look at the things, and we wonder oftentimes, and, and this is <laughs> just an extra, extra one, extra comment with no fee, we wonder sometimes if we as the Christian church are doing what we're supposed to be doing. I wonder when we gather together, if we are more concerned about what's in our environment than we are those that are on the outside of our doors. We should be reaching to those who are outside. In the book, The Gospel of the, and the American Dream, Historian Bruce Shelley wrote these words, In one hand, liberty holds the torch of freedom, and in the other, the tablet of law. The torch challenges the forces of darkness and tyranny. The tablet of law reminds us that liberty, degenerating into license, is but just another form of slavery. He goes on, True freedom for others is only possible in a community of civic virtue. That's the message of the Ten Commandments. God brought a de despised group of people out of bondage. They would not experience true liberty, however, by merely trading one form of bondage for another. Deliverance from Egypt's tyranny could easily be replaced by servitude to selfish and personal passions. They were leaving the slavery of Egypt's Pharaoh, but we're entering a wilderness with no boundaries. And the, the wilderness with no boundaries is both frightening and chaotic. I've told you this before and told others, but teachers understand that when they're in school, if they give their students certain boundaries, the students actually appreciate that. We know that if we are given certain boundaries on where we are to go, everything is pure and nice and good. For instance, if you didn't have the boundaries of the lanes in your highway as you're driving down the road, if you didn't have those boundaries, you might end up in chaos, right? And so the same thing goes for us. Friends, God is not a cosmic killjoy. His Ten Commandments were not given to limit and destroy the freedom of his people. The purpose of God's law is deliverance, not domination. The purpose of his law is to give us boundaries from which rightful living, righteous living, is governed. And we can know that that's good. When you have a child, if you tell the child, don't touch the stove, 
you don't say don't touch the hot stove. You say don't touch the stove because you know that at some point in time or other, that stove is going to be hot. And so you just tell a young child, don't touch the stove. It's, it's not safe. It's, that's a boundary that you need to, need to govern for your children. Obedience doesn't, doesn't enslave, it saves. And so the Ten Commandments are God's statutes of liberty. The background for the Ten Commandments begins in the wilderness. And for, for 400 years of bondage to slavery in Egypt, they, it had ended. In fact, the scripture tells us from the day that Jacob entered Egypt to the day that Moses led them out of Egypt, the Israelites had spent 430 years in Egypt, and much of that was in slavery. The children of Israel left one alien culture to enter another. Soon they would be surrounded by people who worshipped strange gods in strange ways. Sexual perversions were the part of this false religion and false worship. The temptation for Israel was to compromise their beliefs and to blend their faith with the false religion of the pagans, and that would be constant. God met his people at Sinai in the desert between Egypt and, and Canaan, and he gave them these words. You probably know them quite familiar. It's found in, in Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. It says, And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or to worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord promised the Sabbath day and made, therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land of the Lord your God has given you. We used to repeat that to our girls all the time. Anyway, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. The Ten Commandments are God's gracious guidelines for human behavior and relationships. All over the world, they forge a foundation for law and morality. Many people want to look past them and say, well, God has given us grace so we can do as we please. Wrong. Every culture founded on ethical standards includes rules and laws like these, and even based on these commandments, whether or not they want to admit that they are biblical. The Bible says that against these commandments, 
no law has ever been written. You will not find a law in a book anywhere that says it's legal to murder your neighbor. It just isn't going to happen. And they have never been recalled, rescinded, or reversed. They apply in a computer society as well as they did when they were written in stone at Sinai. They are valid among every race and strata of people. The Ten Commandments tell us how to experience ultimate freedom when we live in a community with others. The first four commandments show us how to relate to God. The others teach us how to relate to one another. They deal with the great issues of life and death, sex, family, work, neighbors, and honesty. God's intention in the Ten Commandments was liberty for all humanity, not binding them up. God offers a glimpse of his heart in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, when he says, For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. God's chosen people were at the edge of a new adventure. His plan for them was good. His, he yearned to give them, to prosper them, and to fill them with hope and ensure their future. God wanted his people to be his. In fact, we remember that from previous messages where God has called us to be a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation belonging to God. God's chosen people were at the edge of a new adventure. His plan for them was good, though they didn't always see it that way. He issued them warnings to protect them, as a father warns his children. The second thing we see in this is that there is a bondage of, to unrestricted living. Sounds, sounds unfamiliar. You know, if I, I should have freedom, I should have freedom, right? There should be no bounds. But there is bondage, actually, when we have unrestricted freedom. Emerson Fosdick, Harry Emerson Fosdick's name is associated with liberal Christianity. In retirement, he admitted some of the error of his earlier thinking. He said this, In my callow youth, I reached the conclusion that we had so far spiritually progressed that we could center all attention on Paul's positive ethic, love is the fulfillment of the law, and that we need no longer stress the negative, thou shalt not. He went on to say, I take it back. I know human life better than that. I wish those Ten Commandments could be emblazoned in every marketplace, in every schoolhouse, in every church. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not bear false witness, and thou shalt not covet. If we had these laws ever before us and in us, life would be great with each other, wouldn't it? If we treated each other, oh, it seems like there's a verse that says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I'm just thinking that, that's someplace in there, right? Most people like Fosdick in his earlier years want nothing to do with the Ten Commandments. They don't want anything to do with rules. In fact, if you watch the children, you'll find out that oftentimes they will stray as far as they know they can get until mom comes and grabs them off the platform, right? By the way, my dad and mom did that to me too. Just so you know, there was one time when we were, I was very small, and Dad was pastoring in Barron, and I don't remember this, but I was, Mom was leading kids, kids' time downstairs, and I was sitting with one of the other grandparently-like ladies in the church, and apparently I was, well, anyway, my dad stopped his sermon, came down, picked me up, took me outside, 
I won't tell you what he did, but he brought me back in and I was quiet the rest of the service. Anyway, just so just so you know, most people like Fosdick in their earlier years want to do have want nothing to do with the Ten Commandments. They think that the commandments are kind of some outed, outmoded intolerance. Steve Rex wrote, says, to hear them tell it, God came down to check out human ha happenings and then made up his 10-point program to wipe the smiles off their faces. The scripture sums it up in two places when it says that man was given over to the lusts of his own flesh and, when it, and where it says that men fell into derision when every man did what was right in his own eyes. We talked about that in children in kids' time a few weeks ago. The scripture says that every man did what was right in his own eye. Can you imagine if every one of us determined what was right for us and tried to extend what was right for us as an imposition on somebody else? Hmm, sounds like that. what's happening now, isn't it? The gray shadow of situational ethics sweeps over a nation. God's thou shalt not affront our relativism. We are taught that our values are equal and that notions of bad and good are merely class and cultural distinctions. We have, we've had pastors in the past who have, who have declared, and even present, who have declared that the Bible is not the living word of God and we need to rewrite it for today's what we believe is right today. Boy, I don't know if I want to be those pastors on Judgment Day. Lasting values and timeless truths are thought impossible in an enlightened society. Some secular writers now mourn the absence of absolutes. Ellen Bloom's best-selling critique of American higher ed education says it's called the closing of the American mind, proposes no answer to the problem, yet he sees the crisis. His analysis is right when he says the introductory paragraph. He says, there is one thing a professor can be absolutely certain of, and that is that almost every student entering the university believes or says he believes that truth is relative. If, the beliefs, if this belief is put to the test, then one can count on the student's reaction. They will be uncomprehending. The reality of truth is not a theoretical insight, but a moral postulate, the condition of a free society, or so they seem to think. In fact, the idea that truth is relative flies out the door when one tries to make sense and relative truth of scientific or mathematic fact. Nowhere in the world does two plus two actually equal anything but four, actually. But if truth is relative, then you can make two plus two equal whatever you want it to be. In fact, some theologians talk about that with Jesus when he fed the 5,000 on the, on the hillside with five loaves and two fishes. Some theologians said that mathematics of five loaves and two fish doesn't work out for 5,000 people. So what really happened is when this boy brought his five loaves and two fish, then everybody else feel guilty and brought out their picnic baskets. You know, if the Word of God said there was five loaves and two fish, there were five loaves and two fish. And when it says that Jesus lifted them up and prayed, and they became enough to feed the 5,000 men and plus women and children, they fed the 5,000 men, women, and children. That's just all there is to it. The riot of relativism has led America into a cultural cul-de-sac. James Patterson and Peter Kim measure the moral convictions, habits, and opinions in a book they titled The Day America Told the Truth. Their national survey reveals that there is absolutely no moral consensus in our world today. Here's what they find. 
Only 13% of Americans indicate that they believe the Ten Commandments are absolutely absolute and binding. They go on to say, everyone is making up their own personal moral codes. We are a law unto ourselves, the authors conclude. When asked if there were any beliefs they would be willing to die for, 48% responded no. The yet asked what they would be willing to do for $10 million, get this, for $10 million, 25% said they would leave their family, 16% would renounce their American citizenship, and an astonishing 7% said they would kill a stranger. And interesting, that was for $10 million, and the numbers didn't change when they changed it to 5 and $3 million. The study shows that our culture is, is inhospitable to Christian faith. If that faith is anything but a watered-down civil religion with a tip of the hat to the Almighty, our relativism spawns a deluge of statistics uh, documenting a spiraling crime rate. Philip Yancey once wrote and wrote recently in the Christianity Day, said, visit any magazine rack and you will see a vivid, on vivid display of the morality and the values honored in our society. Fortune, money, European travel and life, and their clones present the advantages of the wealthy and the economic and economic success. He goes on to say, Cosmopolitan, Esquire, Bodybuilder, Swimsuit, and other rows of soft porn titles flaunt our obsession with image and physical appearance. Then come the racks of true crime stories, gothic romances, and soap opera digests that satisfy our hunger and our thirst for unrighteousness. With keen perception, Yancey goes on to add, the people we praise and strive to emulate and feature on the covers of our popular magazines are not the fulfilled, happy, balanced persons we might imagine. Our heroes are, have brought the, bought the gospel of relativism and prosperity and are just as miserable as we are. I read of another celebrity this last week who committed suicide because his life was not happy. What has this freedom achieved? When historians look back on the waning days of the 20th century and the beginning of this 21st century, what will they say? What will they talk about us as people? They may, may report that our standard of living was the highest ever known. They may say we were in the healthiest generation of all mankind. We lived in a land of freedom and could do whatever we chose with an abundance of entertainment devices. However, if you look closely, you will also discover that we have more people who are consumed with alcohol and drugs than any previous generation. We have ingested more sleeping pills, more stimulants, more prescription drugs, not to mention pot, cocaine, and other mind-altering drugs in epic proportions. Just look at the streets of some of our major cities, and you will see them littered on the, high, on the streets and on the, on the sidewalks. Why is that? Because we've forgotten to live for the Almighty. We think everything is consumed in our own pleasures, and our own pleasure lasts for only a moment. If you look more closely at them, you see that even our children are being influenced by this. More is caught than is taught. If we want to be, if we want to teach our children in the next generation 
it behooves us to live in such a way that they will catch what we're doing, not hear what we say. What are the benefits of God's law? Well, first, it is a compass for direction. The Ten Commandments are point us to which, which way we should go. They give us a, our bearings. To so many drifting people would have their lives dramatically transformed if they took the commandments seriously. During World War II, American planes flew from British air bases to missions over Germany. Finding their way from home to base was often difficult because of horrible weather conditions. What's interesting enough, and as you'll know at that time especially, churches had tall, stately spires wherever they were, and they dotted the English landscape. And it was on those overcast days and those times of weather not permitting that these American pilots used the churches to guide them home. Hmm. And as planes descended through a gray sky, the churches told the pilots if they were on, on the right direction. Sounds like a moral thing, doesn't it? Our world is in a moral fog. The spiritual weather is horrible. The Ten Commandments are the spires of the churches that lead us to what is righteous living and lead us home. There's also a thermometer of love. Jesus stated this very clearly when he said, If you love me, you will obey what I command. And if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. In Psalm 119, the psalmist wrote, I delight in your commands because I love them. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it day and night. Great peace have you, have they who love your law, and nothing can make them stum stumble. And another one, another one. Those who truly love the Lord know that he commands because he cares. The commandments are also a mirror of reality. They give us a true look at ourselves. We like to measure ourselves through comparison, and we can always find someone with whom we compare favorably. In fact, you know, we often think in school, the kids ask, want to know, is this test graded on a curve? Am I going to be graded based on what everybody else does? Uh, teachers among us, do you do much of that anymore? Grading on the curve? I don't think so. It's being graded on what's right and wrong, what's correct and incorrect. But oftentimes we want to know that. We want to have our life graded on the curve. Well, just think, the publican said, I am so not so better than anybody else. Thank God that I'm not like him, the sinner. And the sinner says, Lord, I am such a pitiful sinner. Be merciful on me. You know, we compare ourselves to others, or Christians do, and, and what we need to be doing is comparing ourselves to the holiness of God. Search my heart, O God, and know my wicked ways. See if there's any wicked way in me and cleanse me from those ways. The late J. Vernon McGee said this, There must be shedding of blood for sin. You have a mirror in your bathroom, which is a picture of the law, and there's a basin underneath the mirror. You do not wash your face with the mirror. It only reveals the dirt. Just so the law is the mirror that reveals our sin. And beneath that mirror is a wash basin that we know that all of the sins of our life are poured into and washed away by the blood of Christ. There's a song that goes like this. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. 
And sinners plunged beneath that flood Lose all their guilty stain You know that song, right? Lose all their guilty stain Lose all their guilty stain And sinners plunged beneath that flood Lose all their guilty stain How precious are the words that Christ's blood has caused us forgiveness and redemption. We also know that the Ten Commandments are a guardian for good. Imagine that you and I have fought the traffic jams unsuccessfully and we're now seated with 60,000 screaming fans at Lambeau Field. Of course, it can't be a Sunday because if it were a Sunday, we'd be here, right? It is the last game of the regular season between the Packers and, you know, you know, that other team that seems to represent the NFC black and blue division in the playoffs, oftentimes. To our surprise, we discover that field is not set up with the traditional football lines. Some players wear helmets and toss footballs, while others wear shorts and kick a soccer ball. Some swing baseball bats as others dribble basketballs. The whistle blows to signal the beginning of the game, and each player plays the game of his or her choice. Oh, that would be chaos. It's kind of like the movie where we see these visiting tribes and stuff like that. They're different different actions and stuff they do. Games without rules are unthinkable. We would not think of that at all. You would not think of a football game without rules. Although sometimes basketball refs are actually watching a hockey game. But anyway, just just saying, I won't point out any refs, but games without rules would be unthinkable. Even worse as a society without laws. Can you imagine trying to navigate Madison if there were no traffic guidelines? I mean, I do not like driving in cities at all. And I know some who already drive as if there aren't any traffic laws, not among us, of course, none of you guys, I know that. But can you imagine if everyone was alive, allowed to drive as fast as they wanted in whatever lane or sidewalk that they wanted without any stop signs or stop lights? The only one rule would be pedestrian beware. I was told of one guy who went to a major city to ride to go to some meetings and he got in a cab and and sat down in the back seat of the cab and the driver took off. He told him where he's going. He took off and there was a there a, a a green light up ahead for him. And the driver of the taxi stopped at the green light and then proceeded. And he went up and there was another green light and the driver stopped and then proceeded. Another one came up and there was a red light and the and the driver just went right on through the red light. He says, what are you doing? You stop at the green lights, but you don't stop at the red lights. He says, yeah, but I don't know where if my brother is coming the other direction. So if his brother's going through the red lights, he's on a green. He wants to make sure that he stops for his brother going through the red. That's the way we kind of think in this society. We have no rules a lot of times. I can't imagine, well, actually... Driving in Madison without rules would be like, well, driving in Madison. Can you imagine submitting your body to surgery at the hands of a physician who's never earned a standard degree, let alone a degree in surgery? 
or training in surgery. We wouldn't, we would think that's absolutely ludicrous for us to go under the knife of a surgeon who's not trained to do what the surgeon is going to do for us. And yet every society requires rules to help us get along and to govern what right relationships are. And yet we kind of look at those as frivolous. There are some don'ts which actually set us free. Not one of us as parents sets rules for our kids because we're killjoys. We set the rules as boundaries for safe living. Within those rules, our children could be confident that they would not be harmed. Otherwise, and outside those boundaries, are rules and chaos. You know, well, Johnny did this. Well, if Johnny jumped off the Empire Stilt Building, would you do it too? You know, no, we wouldn't. We would know the laws and the, and the boundaries and all those type of things. So too, God has given us boundaries. He's given us the Ten Commandments, not as a killjoy, but as a, a life of freedom for us. And today, that same set of commandments is a tablet for protection, a prescription for right living and safe living. Scripture says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It also says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Christ didn't come to abolish the law, he came to fulfill it. And then this I would leave with you. When we became a spirit-filled and spirit-led follower of Christ, we will no longer we will not obey the law and do good to gain our salvation. We will obey the law and do good because of our salvation. When we are truly filled with the Spirit of God and led by the Spirit of God, those Ten Commandments aren't going to be a thou shalt not. They're going to be, I have the freedom to live as Christ has, has me to live, to love others, to do for others, and to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. They're not a boundaries. They're not a, they're not a binding of us. They're a boundary to give us safe living. Oftentimes, people don't like rules. And I have found that sometimes adults act more like second graders than second graders do. Let's worship the God in fullness. Heavenly Father, as we look at your Ten Commandments, we know oftentimes the, the, the words thou shalt not seem to be so, so inhibiting. And we know that you gave us those world rules and laws not to be a killjoy, but to give us a freedom to serve you and live for you in righteousness and holiness. Father, somehow help us to measure, measure ourselves by your rules, but also by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.